0: and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and literally around the world, this is another episode with your host, David J. Harris Jr. And today I have the privilege and the honor of having Dr. Dan Erickson on with me. He and his co-doctor that own uh, several urgent cares in Kern County absolutely exploded the internet. YouTube took their video down because of the information that some of which he's gonna share and we're gonna get a little bit deeper into that as well. It's a privilege to have on with me this morning, Dr. Dan Erickson. Dr. Dan, how are you doing today, my brother? You know,
1: it's uh, 84 degrees here in Southern California and I'm feeling good.
0: (laughs) That's good. Did you have any idea that your video was gonna go so epically viral?
1: No, this this was th- we were supposed to give a raw data sharing to our local media. They were going to record it and do a two-minute news segment, and then uh, somehow it it went Facebook Live and kind of went all over the place. So no, this was this was a fireside chat for Kern County. That's all it was intended to be.
0: And you and your uh, your your the co-owner of the um, the Urgent Cares. You are actual COVID nineteen doctors. You've been asked and tasked with conducting uh, de- research and collecting data on individuals in your area correct
1: yeah we've we've done almost uh, close to 7000 tests we we do the nasal swab and we're just starting to do the IgG immunity test we weren't we, we weren't essentially elected we just noticed there was a, a demand for testing so we we set aside one of our main corporate centers to start doing a lot of testing. We've done close to seven thousand, and we're, we have about eight point three percent positives via PCR method, which is the nasal swab to this point.
0: How different is that from the current studies that we're hearing from CDC from the original uh, from the original expectations of of uh, how many people were going to contract this or have contracted it? And then compared that to, to the mortality rate, how how off from the original, which has kind of created this entire pandemic of stay at home orders, where does that compare?
1: Well, I think you have to go back a couple months ago when we were using sort of these uh, academic models and they were predict predicting, you know, two point two million deaths, which obviously has not been materialized. Uh, The second wave of predictions comes from Stanford, from L.A. County, where Stanford uh, looked at 3,300 people. They did antibody tests, and they found 2.6 to 4.1 percent of the people in the population of Santa Clara had, uh, had immunity. Well, their public health department had 956 on record. So what Dr. Leonidas and others are saying is, it's actually 50 times that. They said it's more like 50 to 80,000 cases instead of 956. So it, the, the these studies we're seeing are saying that it's a lot more prevalent. Prevalent means the, the amount of current disease. It's a lot more prevalent than we initially thought. And if it's a lot more prevalent, the death rate, therefore, is much lower. So now we see a uh, and Dr. Fauci has been found saying this in the New England Journal, the death rate around the country, uh, the highest we're seeing is 0.5. I think Dr. Fauci said under 1%. So 99 to 99.5% of people who get COVID get better.
0: When did you first realize that something was wrong with the testing and, and the reporting on the testing?
1: Well, I wouldn't say something's wrong with the testing. I I would say that what I was trying to do was give the people of Kern County a realistic sense of, of my data. I said we're not New York, we're not we're not China. So I said I've done at that time I had done five thousand two hundred thirteen tests. Uh, I had gotten about six point five percent positive, which was three hundred and forty at that time. And I said here's my data, and I said California at that time had. You know, I was going over the positives and how much testing had been done and the death rate and just giving raw data. It was not a a biostatistical analysis. It was not, you know, supposed to uh, set the record. I was just going over what is out there and making some some kind of predictions on the prevalence. But because we didn't have good data. So I said, why don't we let's just go over the raw data and see what we're coming up with. And it turns out that now. You know, uh, the studies out of New York are showing New York State has likely 14 percent positive, New York City 21 percent positive. So we're seeing millions of cases, which really lowers the death rate in New York, uh, per the article I read yesterday, to about 0.5 percent, meaning people who have tested positive uh, ended up dying from it at about a 0.5 percent positive rate.
0: I'm so thankful that you chose to do the study, do the research. I know you told me earlier that you were just on a panel, a discussion panel with Tony Robbins and several other um, head epidemiologists. What was that? Did they ask you your input from your from your research and how did they respond to your data?
1: Well, I think my my data is raw and, you know, you you can't my my the the yeah, numbers we talked about were speculative because they haven't been biostatistically analyzed. They haven't been peer reviewed. So I want to be clear on that. It was an opinion piece about what I thought in Kern County. Kern County currently has 13 deaths out of almost a million people. So I think what we have to look at is, you know, are we doing the right steps now? Now that we're getting data back and we're seeing these deaths rates that are under one percent, Should we continue in this lockdown phase? I think that's the the important conversation now is what we did two months ago, I think was appropriate. We saw this virus, this novel new virus coming out of China. We said, man, this thing seems to be moving fast, causing a lot of death, what should we do? So we isolated people, we put masks on, we socially distanced until we had a couple months of data. Now that we have that, we have to ask ourselves, is the collateral damage, for instance, uh, the suicides I've, I've been dealing with, the depression, the anxiety, the loss of revenue, economic collapse, is is it now, should we stay on a shelter-in-place pathway or is it time to start opening up the economy now that we have a lot more data? So that's that's really the question I think we all have to answer at this point.
0: What kind of spikes have you seen? You mentioned that you've personally been dealing with suicides. What kind of spikes have you seen in some, of these, uh, in some of these issues when it comes to the individuals that are staying at home, can't go anywhere? Uh, what percentage of well, increase have you seen?
1: I can tell you about a case. Uh, I'll, I'll just use a specific case that I have that a, a 23-year-old male uh, was, was let go because of COVID. He had some baseline depression, uh, and he ended up taking pills and uh, drinking himself and ended up in the ICU on a vent. These kind of cases, these are these are what I'm seeing. I don't have a big database of it. Over the last month, I'm talking to doctors from, you know, from Wisconsin. I'm reading reports of doctors that are in the Bronx and what they're seeing. And I'm putting it all together and saying as a collective, this is what I'm seeing around the country. This is my opinion on what I'm seeing. I think that's what's important. I don't have a biostatistical uh, database to pull from saying, you know, suicide has gone up 12 percent. I think that data uh, might be they're putting it together now and I've heard from the sheriff's, o- sheriff's office that you know violent crimes alcoholism they're getting a lot more 911 calls but I don't have the actual figures to go from
0: well you're, you're, you're right in the thick of it you're seeing it and you're talking to the doctors that are seeing it and the effects of this these stay-at-home orders that so many governors are still implementing and keeping in place it seems like it's definitely causing more damage to the American people. Uh, than it is helping. Do you believe the governor is following real science? Or do you think there are doctors and experts with a political agenda who are giving out bad information?
1: Well, I'm not I'm not really a psychiatrist. I don't know what they're thinking. But what I will say is, I think what we need to do is look at the approaches that have been taken globally. Let's look at South Korea. Let's look at Sweden. Let's look at the United Kingdom. The death rate per million in uh, in Sweden right now is about 300. The UK is about 500. Sweden is not on lockdown. Kids under 16 are in school. Businesses are opening. They're limiting groups under 50, and people are allowed to move about outside their homes without being arrested or penalized. In the UK, they're on full lockdown, and their results are are not much better. So when I ask the epidemiologists this question, they say. I, I think that flattening the curve actually lengthens the disease cycle. So instead mm-hmm. of kind of allowing herd immunity to go up and come back yeah. down, it sort of drags out this herd immunity because herd immunity is, you know, one of the strategies for getting through these viruses. Every year the flu right. comes in and we vaccinate people, people get the, the, the flu and the flu essentially burns itself out as we start to move outdoors and get later in the. Uh, in April and May. It starts in December, lasts for three or four months. Each year it burns itself out, and we have a vaccine for it. The vaccine some years is more effective than others, and not everybody takes the vaccine. Right. So I think the vaccine helps, but it's not always the answer to these these viruses that spread through our communities.
0: Yeah, I've we and our family choose, choose not to vaccine, and I haven't had anything really damaging. I I rarely actually ever get sick, but I also take high doses of vitamin C if I'm feeling something coming on vitamin D, uh, vitamin A, and um, I seem to get through it. So if you take that into consideration, there's a lot of Americans that don't vaccinate and we don't see, you know, total pandemic style reaction to people getting the flu. Uh, It really makes you wonder why we've done that. You said in your video that California hospitals were at a minimum capacity. Is that still the case? And if so, how come Governor Newsom is ratcheting up the stay at home orders uh, by closing down beaches?
1: Well, I can only, I can only speak for, uh, for Central California. I, I uh, speak to their, their CEOs and I asked them and they said their census was low. Some hospitals said 40%. Some said uh, they definitely were lower than normal. I said, do you have surge capacity if we should have a secondary spike? They said, yes. And we get secondary spikes with the normal flu uh, that we're, we're used to. So every year, sometimes in December, it starts out slow. By the end of January, you see the tents outside the hospitals. You know, they'll surge sometimes. Instead of seeing 250 a day, they'll see, you know, 400 a day. We're used to that. We're used to flu cycles that surge. So I think it's important that people know most hospitals have surge capacity. And if you have to put tents up for a few weeks to deal with it, that's okay. I mean, we're used to that. I asked them, "Do you have enough ventilators?" Yes, we do. I said, uh, they, "I said last week, in fact, there was 14 patients in the hospital with COVID, and there was three on ventilators, out of a system of almost a million people." So wow. I, 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 I'm trying to get real numbers and data to say this is what's going on in Kern County. I can't speak to all of California, but I have heard uh, similar, uh, similar stories in LA where doctors are telling me, you know, our volume, we used to see, you know, uh, we're probably seeing 40 to 50% less volume. They've had to furlough doctors and nurses because they just don't have the volume of patients. And a lot of it's fear. I, I talked to an ER doctor in Wisconsin who just finished a night shift and he, I said, how'd it go? He said, well, I had a patient come in with chest pain who had started three days ago, but he was too afraid to come in abdominal pain that's waiting and so these things that we can treat when they wait for days they're dealing with a much more significant problem so i think fear fear is causing some secondary medical problems uh even at the clinic i'm at today i was talking to the doctor he said a patient came in with an infection that they'd had for many days but was afraid to come in and get checked out so you can see there's collateral damage to the fear people are driving around their cars with face masks and they won't get their medical problems addressed because they think they're gonna get COVID by coming into a facility.
0: When I hear that, it makes me think about the video that was just released where CBS basically got caught uh, staging uh, a COVID-19 testing site and willingly and knowingly put it on the air, shared it on their morning news segment where they had additional people lined up to take tests. The nurses actually on video were sharing that most of them weren't even actually being tested they said that they were just uh, faking it when you hear when you know what's going on and you see what's going on with some of these individuals that are literally out of fear not going to the hospital get to get something treated that they should and then you hear that cbs is intentionally fear-mongering how does that make you feel as a doctor
1: well, that's one of the reasons why I was I was trying to be really forthcoming with the media because they were parking outside my building, you know, always looking for interviews. And I said, I want to make sure people understand that we're, we're doing a lot of testing uh, and we're seeing about six and a half percent. We're not seeing a lot of hospitalization. And most people have a fairly mild illness. They'll have some cough, some fever, and they typically get over it without going to the hospital so I think one of my one of my key messages was just to reassure people that most people unless you're you know over 70 with multiple medical problems these are the people that succumb to the illness if you look at the nursing homes uh, throughout different countries they got hit hard and I think maybe one of the things we could have done better in this country is initially you know isolate the vulnerable, which are the yeah. elderly, which are the immune compromised. Let's yes. isolate the vulnerable and not necessarily isolate those young and healthy under 50 who have a very good chance of, of getting over it with no hospitalization and almost no symptoms.
0: You know that uh, Governor Cuomo actually allowed nurses that were working in, uh, in elderly homes, retirement homes, with COVID-19 to still continue to work Uh, around elderly and uh it's like what kind of reasoning could you think of for a governor saying go ahead and keep working in these areas where the most highly uh risk individuals the elderly are there and these nurses have covid19 how does that what do you think about that
1: yeah it's, it's tough to it's tough to throw a stone at that sometimes that's a staffing issue i i i always i always like to know the facts before i comment but you know, our, our staff has, uh, we, I, don't, I don't believe we've had any staff with COVID. I'd have to check today, but um, our staff is, is using PPE precautions. If we have someone who's positive, typically you take them off for about two weeks. That's what the CDC recommended. However, it's not entirely clear to me that someone is indeed not contagious after that point. Because I've met with uh, MD, PhDs in immunology and asked them that question. And when we do the immune testing, Uh, we can tell you if you're positive or negative for COVID and we can tell you if you've had an immune response, Mm. but can we tell you that you're immune to COVID? Not necessarily. We can say you've been exposed to it. You've got a spike in your immunoglobin, IgG. And I asked, I asked them specifically, so what can I tell the patient? And they said, you've been exposed to COVID-19 and you have an immune response. We don't know if it confers immunity. So for these nurses in New York, I mean, if they were working for me, I probably would have taken them off for two weeks and uh, brought people in that tested negative.
0: Seems like that would have been, that that should have been an easy decision for anybody to make. Uh, Do you feel like uh, hospitals are finally starting to focus on non-virus related illnesses again, or are people still today in fear of going to hospitals? I know you shared a, a story about that gentleman that didn't go. Was that recently or was that weeks ago?
1: That, that was probably about a week and a half ago, but I, I again, I have, I have many cases around the country. Uh, I have doctors, orthopedic surgeons in Texas I've talked to about people who needed joint replacement, hip replacement, but because COVID has become the focus of all of us, all these significant medical problems have been backburnered. So we, we see a variety of things that are, in my opinion, essential Uh, but have been deemed non-essential. I'm not sure how someone who can't walk and needs a hip replacement is non-essential. That seems critical to me, but orthopedic surgeons were told they couldn't do these surgeries and they're starting to loosen it a little bit. But I I think COVID, really, we started focusing on that almost to the detriment of everything else. And I'm going, folks, the medical system has a lot of issues. COVID is part of it. And when I see hospital censuses low and lots of surge capacity, and people are afraid to come in. I say to myself, I-, I think we've scared the people into a state where they're not getting the care they need. And I don't think that's the best approach.
0: Yeah, I 100 percent agree. You, how complicit do you feel or do you feel like the mainstream media just elevated this to a level of pandemic that created the fear? They didn't treat to
1: swine flu like this. No, and I, I think, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. You know, you've heard these statements where the, the media, I mean, they're, they're an entertainment industry and they, they need ratings. And if they say, you know, uh, that COVID maybe is similar epidemiologically to the flu and people need to really take a rational approach, that doesn't sell. So I think sometimes there's some sensationalism to kind of boost ratings. And if you're if you're calm and methodical, people maybe don't tune in as much. So I I think the media in general uh, needs to take a a more midline approach. But I understand they're a business and they want ratings. But I I, I just think that sometimes they, they sensationalize things when they should be talking to people that actually do this every day and say, what are you seeing instead of sort of sensationalizing what they see in New York?
0: We have a term for that, Dr. Dan. You know what it's called? What's it called? Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. They sensationalize a lot because they're trying to just get ratings. And I personally believe they're continually trying to push a narrative. You know, I can't. I don't think we can deny that uh, 80, 90% of most mainstream media is, is pretty liberal slanted. I'm not sure where you are on the spectrum or if you want to get into that or not.
1: You know, I, I've really tried to stay in my lane. I'm, I'm, you know, I've studied science. I'm a physician. I'm an entrepreneur. I was trained as an emergency physician. I don't work in the ERs anymore. Um, and I, for the most part, I'm in the entrepreneurial world. I'm providing jobs for doctors and for nurses and for staff. Uh, I see patients periodically, but mainly an entrepreneurial role. So I really tried to, I have really tried through all these interviews to sort of stay in the scientific and medical realm because I think that's where I can contribute the most. Obviously I have political I- ideology like everybody, but I've really yeah. tried to to stay in my lane to say I think it's fair that I stay in the scientific and medical lane and I'll leave the, you know, the politics to the pundits and people that spend their lives discussing that.
0: What about when politics starts to impede on your medical your ability to practice medicine and and the people that you're seeing? You know, the, in Ventura County, the uh, d- the director of public health there has just issued a statement that they're going to mandatory quarantine anybody that tests positive, And then they're going to start contact tracing where they're going to track down anybody that they've had contact with. And if anybody tests positive, they're also going to mandatory quarantine them.
1: Yeah, I know that that uh, policy doesn't, uh, I don't think that's the most effective way to do it. I think what you want to do, because a lot of people they test positive, they're young and healthy and they get over it, you know, they can self isolate at home. The thing is, people are social creatures. I mean, they're going to go to the store, they're going to go to Home Depot, they're going to, you know, interact with their pastor, they're going to have people come to their house. I, I asked an epidemiologist this question and said, do you, do you think this is the best approach, You know, sort of isolating people with mild disease? And they said, no, you isolate the elderly. A majority of these cases we're seeing from uh, University of Pittsburgh are in people over 80. You, you isolate the elderly, you isolate the immune compromise, you protect them, and then society essentially moves about and goes about its business to develop herd immunity. Because if I look at the way they've done shutdown, for instance, where like today I can run over to Costco with 25 people and I can stand in the same row and we can talk about the price of, of cheese and bread and that's fine. And then on my way home, I can stop by the bike store, which I did the other day and talk to a salesperson for an hour or two. And there was three of them talking to me, no masks, no social distancing. And then I can go to fast food on the way home and they may or may not be wearing masks. And I'm going it. It's like we're selectively shutting things down. We're shutting down churches, beaches, parks. But then we've got these big box stores that are open with really it, there's no rational you know, lockdown parameters. They're they're selectively shutting things down. And I don't think the virus really cares about those kind of decisions. I think it's going to move through the community no matter what. And that's why we see Sweden is uh, Dr. Anders Tegnell and Dr. Gisecki said, we're very happy with our approach. Mm. And I say, maybe there's something we can learn from them. Why don't we study the approach of these countries that are not in full lockdown, but have used some common sense social isolation. They've been talking about personal responsibility. Imagine that having people, you know, making decisions about their own health care and their own influence. I don't think we should ever have policies that take away our constitutional rights and tell us what is and what's not safe. I think what's important is to isolate certain people groups and then let the majority of the population make decisions about their own personal responsibility.
0: You nailed that on the head. That's where I was going is, you know, there comes a point where I believe every, every American that loves this country, that loves the founding, that loves our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, Sees these stay-at-home orders by mostly Democrat governors that are pushing an agenda where they're shutting down things like churches. Governor Gavin Newsom just said churches can expect to stay closed for another two to possibly three months, yet you've got Walmarts open, you've got Targets, Costco, you've got all these things that they deem essential. Uh, It really just makes no sense other than them are just, they're trampling on the First Amendments of Americans that they deem non-essential is how I see it.
1: Yeah, and I, I think we have to be real careful here that we don't uh, the term "throw the baby out with the bathwater," where we essentially ruin an economy. I, I, I like to I like to mention this. I say when you shut down a tw- $20.4 four trillion dollar economy, you have medical problems. So you're not just shutting it down, and you have economic problems. No, you have a variety of you have you have some starvation, you have depression this is what i'm seeing in our practice depression anxiety you have some suicide you have some you have some alcoholism you have all these secondary issues that start popping up that are measurable and then you have these this other side where you're predicting what will happen with the covid but you, at the same time you have these issues that are definitely going to happen that are med- that are negative medical consequences of an economic shutdown so i think you really have to look at that and say to ourselves, is the collateral damage of economic shutdown indeed causing more medical issues than COVID itself? And I think there's a good case to be made that, you know, most Americans have some negative impact from COVID, whether it's, I'm not just talking financial. I'm talking about lack of medical care, fear of being evaluated, um, the ERs, Census being low because people don't want to get treated. Those are definitive medical problems that happen because of the shutdown that are not economic based.
0: Yeah, I I agree 110 percent. To me, it definitely seems political. Uh, You know, I'm a Christian and I feel that, uh, you know, one one of my good friends, Pastor Rodney Howard Brown, he decided to practice social distancing, have church, give people a place to go and worship, uh, and they took him to jail and they've done that to pastors all around the country, yet specifically, they're leaving mosques alone. Uh, I'm not saying one thing or the other, other than why is there such a disparity? Why are they treating one group of faith different than the other? That's where I believe it becomes political, and that's where I believe patriots should stand up and say something. I've got a few questions for you from the audience. I let my audience know that uh, I was gonna be interviewing you and some very good questions came in. Uh, I can't go through all of them. There's close to a thousand questions on my Facebook (laughs) feed, but this question comes from Tammy Renee. She says, with all my questions, I just about need a phone call. Uh, It was also stated by another doctor that taking vitamin C, vitamin D and zinc uh, was good to take. They also stated hydroxychloroquine was good for people diagnosed with the coronavirus, that it helps cover the cells. So why are they trying to keep uh, y'all doctors uh, to give your patients this, the test positive? Is, is that accurate? Is vitamin C, D, and, and zinc, uh, does that help boost the immune system? Would that help somebody that could be potentially uh, infected with COVID?
1: Yeah, I think you're, you're talking about two different things. One is kind of a basic health strategy vitamin D, vitamin C, antioxidants, getting outside, getting sun. These are all things that are going to, things you're going to do every day. And then there's the, the discussion of if you get COVID, do you treat it? And for the vast majority of people at my clinic, we don't treat it. We test them, they're positive, we say go home, self-isolate, you're going to be fine. Wow. If they start developing respiratory symptoms, shortness of breath, you know, progressive fevers, they start getting worse, then there's the discussion about treatment. What are the treatments available right now? Well, there's the hydroxychloroquine, zinc, azithromycin. And people say, "Well, that's not that's not we don't have, you know, double-blind placebo-controlled peer-reviewed you know, journals and trials showing this is effective. What we have is for the most part anecdotal evidence. So we have physicians that have, for instance, treated 1400 patients and they had two of them on vents and they eventually came off the vents and most people did very well. We have these anecdotal stories throughout the country. And I'm I'm saying if, if I had COVID and I was getting worse, I would take that. Most the vast majority of people don't need any any medication, but people that are getting worse. If you ask ER doctors if they've had COVID and were getting worse, for the most part, they probably took treatment. If I had was diagnosed with COVID and I was getting respiratory symptoms, I would start hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and azithromycin. If that tells you what I think about it.
0: Yeah, that says a lot. I also think it's very interesting that hydroxychloroquine, you know, and ZPAC are very cheap. They're very inexpensive. Uh, yet the mainstream media pretty much blasted it. I don't know if they blasted it because President Trump suggested, hey, this looks like it's working, it could be positive, or you know, if there was some other bent to it. you have any thoughts on why the mainstream media would blast something that seemed to be so positive and have results for so many people already?
1: Yeah, a, a lot of times if President Trump stands for it, they're against it. I mean, it doesn't matter what he said, they come against it. So I, I would say this. Hydroxychloroquine has been used in lupus patients for 65 years. And I heard a, a statement by the head of rheumatology the other day that said it's very safe. Uh, the cardiac side effects are, are very minimal from his perspective and it really blocks the cytokine storm which is sort of this inflammatory reaction in the lungs. And it's, So it, it seems when you look at its, its mechanism of action and its history of safety. I don't know why it wouldn't be something, you know, in your armamentarium that you would use as a physician. You know, we, we talk about convalescent serum as a possible reason. Convalescent serum just means taking the serum from someone who's developed antibodies and giving it to someone who's sick so that they can develop the same antibodies and fight the disease. That's another strategy. Then we've got some of these new medications coming out. But I'm thinking if you have a patient and they're getting worse. You're gonna you're gonna try one of these methods because the the ventilator uh, ventilators are not good for patients. Uh, they uh, a huge percent of people die on ventilators, and that's that's not the most effective strategy. So I don't I don't treat a lot of COVID patients. Our clinics see see basically low level of disease, and they go home. When they get worse, they go to the hospitals, and the hospital doctors, the hospitalists, the internists deal with this. I don't really deal with the treatment side. So I've, I've, I've read and listened to the anecdotal evidence. And if I was diagnosed with it and getting worse, I would start that regimen we talked about.
0: Great information. This question comes from Shelley Shelly Anstein. Is it possible that COVID virus was in the US in November and December? She had a friend who says her cousin tested positive for antibodies and was really sick in November. She also works in a school where she had something go through the staff and kids in January. Uh, are they doing health background with positive antibody results to determine this?
1: Yeah, I can only speculate to that because we didn't have testing back then. So I, I will say that uh, I've heard anecdotal reports from ER doctors that say, you know, I was seeing these flu-like illnesses in December, you know, fever, shortness of breath, body aches. It looked like flu to me, but we t- tested negative for flu. It was really strange. And then I've, mm. I've had a couple friends of mine. Who said I had a severe flu-like illness in December, but it wasn't flu, and it was likely COVID. We don't have testing, so I can only speculate if that was true. Yeah. Uh and in LA, we have a lot of people coming in and out through China every day. So I have also, you know, read some other reports. That they think the COVID was here long before we just didn't know it. And Californians started to developing immunity. And that's why we've had you know, a fairly a fairly low count of disease and death in California compared to New York, uh, possibly because we had developed some herd immunity from all the, uh, the, the Chinese travel through L.A.X. Airport.
0: That would be very interesting if there was a way to truly find out uh, that would lay a whole entirely new narrative on how and why this pandemic was created and supported by the mainstream media. Uh, I got a few more questions. You have time.
1: Yes, I have a couple more minutes.
0: Johnny Wade Bennett says a good fr- friend of mine has a daughter that lives in DC, was having a rash, called her doctor to see to get some medication for it. Uh, she had a rash a couple of years ago. The doctor insisted she come get tested for COVID-19. She was already practicing isolation, was not symptomatic of the virus. The doctor told her putting uh, sh- she was putting everyone in danger. So she went in to be tested. They told her to take five to six days, the results came back. Uh, and she tested positive now it's been a month and she's never had any symptoms is this possible
1: yeah a lot of people don't have any symptoms that are positive matter of fact uh, from my discussion with epidemiologists uh, most people with that are young and have healthy immune systems the body brings this in and processes it and develops immunity with very little symptoms and that's why You know, when we when we look at these studies from Stanford and USC, they're saying most people, the vast majority, don't even know they have it. So they don't feel sick. They have COVID, but they don't feel sick. And I think this has been underreported largely in the media. When you look at New York and you think that the studies out of New York that I've been reading say that about 14 percent of New Yorkers uh, likely have had COVID from these studies they did. And maybe 2 21% of New York City. Well, that's you know, 2.7 million people. And the vast majority of them don't have symptoms. And the ER doctor, um, his name is Dr. Daniel Murphy, that put out a, a statement a couple of days ago said, Listen, I live in the Bronx, I've had COVID, and he said, Our beds are opening up, the cases aren't coming in anymore. And he said the collateral damage I'm seeing that is causing uh problems both medically and financially for my patients is worse than covid we need to get wow. everybody back working and this guy's in the bronx he's in the wow. thick of it and he's had covid himself i think that's a legitimate source telling us we need to get the, the economy moving for a variety of medical reasons
0: what would you say two questions what would you say to these these governors that are continuing to uh institute stay-at-home orders and some of them like in oregon are even suggesting that it's going to be in July before they even reconsider opening up their state.
1: I would say that uh, we need to we need to listen to epidemiologists in different countries. We also need to listen to biostatisticians. I interviewed Doctor Witowski and I asked him these questions, and he said, "You know, we need to allow the, the virus to move through the young and healthy and develop herd immunity. We need to isolate you know our elderly and immune compromised." and we need to open up the schools. And this is what Dr. Giesek, uh, Dr. Anders Tegnell have said. They said, kids do very well with this virus. So why are we shutting down the schools? Why are we talking about not opening them up for a long time? I don't see good science for why we should do that. I think elderly homes, yes. People over 70, yes. Immune compromised, yes. But for those of us that are not in those categories, I think we can start I mean, this is what the epidemiologists have said. Dr. Gusecki said, well, the United States has gone up this ladder now and they have to come down in a stepwise fashion. You don't just open everything up because you're going to get a massive disease spike. You you start slowly with the schools. This is what he recommended. I'm not an epidemiologist, so I'm going to defer to him. He said, open up the schools, kids under 16, so basically up through high school. Open them all up. Watch your prevalence and incidence of disease. You know, if it if it's stable and the hospitals are fine, no no overwhelming sense of disease, then you open up small businesses and you do a stepwise approach to open the whole economy. That's what they've recommended. I think that's rational, and uh, I support that opinion.
0: So that that opinion goes directly to Gavin Newsom as well because he's continued to stay on that track. Uh, how do you how do you feel that the president handled this pandemic with the first information that came out, and do you agree that basically China lied. And because of that, people died.
1: Well, I I would say this um, when you're dealing with limited information, which he was a couple months ago, you have to defer to your experts, you know, Dr. Fauci and the whole team. You as I think as president, a key thing is you have to listen to your advisors, because if you don't, then you're sort of in this you know dictatorship role so i think i think president trump did it right where he said okay i'm listening to the experts they're telling me to shut down let's wait until we have enough data and then we'll make different decisions so i think he did the right thing i i wore face masks i wore ppe for two months my family stayed they, my family didn't leave the house for six weeks so we we fell in line with all of this and now i'm saying okay we've done that for a couple months we shut down the economy Let's look back and see if now it's time to pivot off that decision and maybe get the economy rolling again, getting getting that healthy back to work, getting us back to school, start to move slowly in the direction of of getting us interacting again to develop herd immunity so we don't we don't flatten this curve indefinitely uh, dragging out the disease cycle.
0: Yeah, you nailed it. And, and as far as China lying, I think I hope I hopefully one good thing that comes from all of this, one positive thing, is that we become extremely less dependent on China, especially for so much of our pharmaceuticals and medical needs.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that we've got to we've got to we've got to really decide as Americans, you know, to to bring so much of the production here, especially on critical systems, but even non critical systems. I think it's critical that we we make the playing field a little more equal so that you can't take a business to China and build things at a at a level that allows you your profit to be increased at a high rate. I think we need and I think that's what the tariffs are doing. So I think the critical thing right now is our infrastructure, our antibiotics, our medications. We need to keep us going. We need to bring a lot of that home. Because if, yes. if, if you if you have a situation where you have relational difficulties with a country and they can shut down your your key medications that keep your population healthy, that's not a strong position to deal from, in my opinion.
0: I 100 percent agree. Sounds like we agree on America first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dr. Dan Erickson. Thank, you, thank you, for, you so much, my brother, for for spending taking a little break from working. You're literally helping save people's lives, and and all that you do. Thank you so much for the data and the research, and thank you for bringing us your your feedback, your data, and your opinion, sir. We we, we honor you. And uh, I had a ton of messages of people just saying thank you. So on their behalf, well, I, thank I'll you.
1: say one final thought to to the to the, your audience. Get to know your board of supervisors in your county. Get to know them. Call them. Let them know um, what you think of your constitutional rights being taken away from you. Actually, you need to you need to take your truth to them. These are elected officials. They are a uh, they are a public servant. And if you are not getting your needs served and your constitutional rights protected, you need to let them know. And if they don't change, you need to get them out. Boom.
0: <laughs> That's a great ending. I, I love it. And yes, we need to pay a lot more attention to those people that should be serving the interests of the public, which is us. God bless you, brother. Thank you so much. Maybe we'll, thank you. Uh, if anything changes, I'd love to have you back on in a couple, two, three weeks and see if there are any updates.
1: Anytime, it's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you, Dan. God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye friends there you heard it from the man that uh broke the internet literally youtube took his video down they didn't want you to hear some of what he shared here and he shared a lot more please share this message share this video share this podcast with at least 25 friends i know you've got them and they're all probably sitting at home not doing too much right now america needs to hear this man's perspective it is 100% political. These Democrat governors that continue to push these stay-at-home orders are doing it in absolute defiance of medical doctors and medical experts that are sharing the cure. Their supposed cure for staying at home is worse than COVID-19. God bless you. Please share the mess out of this. And once again, from my sponsor, my pillow. Please get yourself some pillows or some towels or the mattress topper that I absolutely love. I shared that my wife and I just moved. We didn't put our mattress topper on when we first moved into our new house. The first thing that my wife said to me and I said to her when we, when we woke up was, we need to put our mattress topper on. It'll be like you have a, a brand new mattress. If you'll sleep amazing, I highly recommend it. I love his sheets as well. Use the code David, use the code David at mypillow.com. You'll save up to 60% on whatever you get. The mattress topper, you'll save 30% and you'll get two My Pillows. So use the code David at MyPillow.com. God bless my sponsor, Mike Lindell and MyPillow, and I know you're going to love his products. Please share this message. America needs to hear and know the truth about what is really happening. It is political. And like the doctor said, it seems like anything the president suggests is a good thing. The mainstream media and Democrats say it's bad. That right there is utter hypocrisy, and it's something that none of us should stand for. God bless you. We'll talk to you again soon.